Welcome to Inside DC, the podcast of the Arendt Fox DC business and policy practice. My name is John Bowker, and I'm the practice group leader of the government relations group at Arendt Fox. My guests today are my colleagues, former at-large DC council member and now Arendt Fox partner, David Grasso, and senior government relations director, Oliver Spurgeon. Today, I'm going to talk to David and Oliver about what you can expect from the DC budget process this year which is unlike any year in the district's history since home rule. David, let me start with you. DC's budget process this year continues to be confusing for the public to understand and to navigate. Can you give us a quick rundown of the latest budget schedule and why it has been so delayed? Well, John, you've got it right. The fact that this year is delayed is unlike any other year in our history. Uh, And I've been following these particular budget proceedings for the past 20 plus years, and I can tell you it's incredibly unique. So everything was delayed by a couple of months and mostly because we were waiting on the federal dollars to come down in response to the COVID pandemic. So what's happening is we now have a May 27th deadline for the mayor to submit her budget. After the budget gets submitted to the council, they will go through the regular process to hold budget hearings throughout the month of June. Then in July, they will begin deliberations, which will in fact leak over for the first time in my knowledge, past their normal summer recess into early August. And so the council's final budget vote will be on August the 10th of 2021, which puts them easily two months behind schedule. It's a big challenging year, John. Thanks, David. Let's talk for a moment about the federal money that's causing the delay. The American Rescue Act, recently passed by the Congress, makes billions of dollars available for the district. What's the timing on that money and how much is it going to be? And let me ask on what priorities can the district spend this money and what kind of discretion does the district have to spend it? The American Rescue Act, John, is a lot of money. And fortunately, we have a Congress now that is showing more respect for the District of Columbia. So we're going to get a back pay of about $750 million. But in addition to that, we're going to get all of the money that's going to other jurisdictions in a fairly proportioned manner. So the district this year is looking at getting $2.2 billion in discretionary money and another $2 billion in already dedicated formula-based money. This money is going to come over in a couple of different timelines for the 2.2 in discretionary. You're looking at one tranche of it coming this year and then another coming next year. It's all going to be considered one-time money that needs to be spent within a three-year period. But uh, it's a lot of money, John, and my hope is that we can dedicate this money to trying to address some of the issues that have come up around the COVID pandemic. So one that's on my mind as the former chair of the Committee on Education is to try to figure out how we can make up for all the learning loss that our students have experienced being out of school. To do that, I think we ought to take a big chunk of this money, I'm talking 300 million plus, and put it towards this effort very deliberately through one-time grants over three-year period for our local schools. I think this would go a long ways towards making sure that we have high-density tutoring, making sure that we have the kind of mental health supports and other kind of uh, lift-up-your-student-type supports that make them want to come to school again. David, does this money have the kind of discretion attached to it that would allow the district to be able to, to put forward a program like that? I believe it does, uh, John. I think that the mayor could make this a priority if she wanted to when she submits her budget on the 27th. I also believe that the council could move some money around. Now, the, the catch here is that it can't be what's called reoccurring dollars. So it can't be a commitment that you make today that you then have to fill year after year after year because this is a one-time deal. Think of it as a bucket of emergency money that the federal government is saying, here, 
go and spend this on something that will make lives better post-COVID. And that's, I think, what we have to look out for is how do they decide to spend this money and will they invest it in the things in this community that are most important, like the education of our children? Thanks, David. Oliver Spurgeon, let me now turn to you. What does the delay in the budget process mean for D.C. residents and businesses? So that's a really good question, John. And David alluded to much of this and some of this in his response, talking about the receipt of those federal dollars. That delay really allowed the district to kind of go back and the mayor to think about how to readdress some of her priorities, knowing that we're going to get this big slug of federal money to help ease some of her concerns and really reinvest in some of her priorities. So that's the good thing. The delay also really does impact many of our nonprofit organizations that depend on grants coming from the district. Folks in the homeless prevention and housing community are really in need of money. And so this two-month delay could have disparate impacts upon them. Folks who are doing work with community-based organizations and violence prevention that also get grants from the district are also going to be needing some of those dollars as well. So that delay is going to impact them as well. And then I think about folks who are doing a lot of domestic violence work. And, you know, as they're trying to plan out their year, two-month delay really does mean a lot to these groups. And so the more we can do to provide them with predictability and reliability, and the more they understand the timing of the dollars coming from the district, the more they can plan and better reach their constituents to both keep district residents safe and prevent homelessness. So timing is important, but it's been both a gift and a curse for the district and some of its residents. Uh, Oliver, of course, the budget process will start when the mayor sends her budget to the council. What do you think are going to be her priorities? She's already indicated that she would like to see an increase in the funding for education. But what do you think some of her other priorities will be? So, you know, when I think about the big concerns facing the district, we've still got the eviction moratorium going on, both at the federal level and here due to the mayor's order. I expect that there's going to be a strong investment in homelessness prevention and then also the emergency rental assistance program. And then also on the health and human services side, trying to invest more dollars for that hospital in Ward 8 to make sure that those folks have access to health care. And then additionally, there's always been a big commitment to the arts here in the district and the creative community contributes so much to the district's economy and to our vibrancy and it's what attracts so many of our visitors year in year out. So as we try and reemerge from the pandemic and really get our economy restarted, uh, I expect that there's also going to be a strong investment in the arts industry here in the district as well. Thanks, Oliver. David, let me turn back to you. You know better than most as a former member of the council that once the council receives the mayor's budget, members are going to propose changes. What do you think the council's priorities will be once the budget is finally in their hands? Well, thanks, John. I think the council's priorities are going to focus similarly that the mayor that Oliver just talked about, the mayor's focus is going to be, you know, they're going to have to address the housing crisis and the reality that so many people are going to be up against an eviction notice that they're going to have to address. I think the, the mayor's going to put a lot in there for downtown revitalization, and I think the council will support that. And that goes to Oliver's point on the arts and supporting the arts and making sure that they can come back full. Then I think the council is going to have education as a top priority. You know, I've heard many of them talk a lot about how do you undo the learning loss that has happened, bring students back up to learning levels they need to be at. I think the council will address that. The mayor, I think, will do a lot towards that with her increases in the uniform per student funding formula. But the council, I think, will want to do even more. And then one thing that I think will distinguish the council from the mayor is going to be the council is going to invest in police reform efforts more than I think you'll see the mayor do it. The council is going to want to invest in nonviolent interrupters on alternative approaches 
approaches to policing. They're going to try, I think, to implement some of the police reform commission's provisions. They made a lot of recommendations. A lot of them were about defunding the police, but doing it intentionally over time to increase mental health support, sending the right people to the right crisis situation. I believe that the council is going to focus a lot on that. So at the end of this process in this most unusual budget year, do you think the mayor and council will be able to come together on some of these priorities? What do you think the final product will look like? I think they'll be able to come together. We've seen it happen ever since the, this mayor has been in office. Uh, mayor Bowser tends to, I think, work well with the council on the budget process. We'll see, I think, some of the priorities that the council want put in there, but in collaboration with the mayor's folks. And I think in the long run, we won't have any time to negotiate because once this hits the final vote in August, the fiscal year starts on October 1st. And so this has to then, unfortunately, go through the congressional process. Of course, as you know, John, from working on it for years, this will only go through a 30-day oversight of the Budget Support Act, the legislative review side, and then our budget will go ahead and implement when we need to. And then Congress can do what it wants to us. So we have to be very careful not to delay it and need to move it forward. And my guess is there'll be a lot of pressure on the mayor to support whatever the council decides to do. And there'll be a lot of pressure on the council to support the mayor's priorities in especially the reopening of our city, which is a challenge I think we all have to address to get people to go back to work downtown in order to revitalize one of our greatest drivers of our economy. Thanks, David. Let me turn now to Oliver for my final questions and perhaps uh, the most important question, how can residents and businesses best influence this process to make sure their voices are heard and make sure their priorities are reflected in this unusual budget process in this unusual year? So when I'm walking around D.C., John, and I get asked this question, my answer is always to hire Eric Fox. We've got a, a great team here. <laughs> well done, Oliver. <laughs> yeah, but, but but in all seriousness, that process really does start now. David alluded to the fact that the council is going to have that 70-day sprint the minute they receive the budget from the mayor. Citizens around the district have to get engaged now. You can't wait until that budget's received from the mayor. So we've got to go and talk to your council members, talk about your priorities. I know there are lots of large advocacy groups that have lots of members. Paved comes to mind as someone who has lots of organization, but they've also got to have folks going downtown, talking to folks at the Wilson Building, and outlining their priorities for when that budget arrives on the council dais. So that's the best thing. And then also making sure that you're amplifying your voices and calling and emailing so that they understand that it's not just someone playing the inside game. You've also got lots of folks who support your cause and want to see this go into effect. Oliver, thanks. Thank you both to David Grasso and to Oliver Spurgeon for your insights on the DC budget process this year. This has been Inside DC, the podcast of the Aaron Fox DC Business and Policy Practice. We hope that you will join us for future podcasts and please do not hesitate to reach out to us at Aaron Fox if there's any way we can assist you. Thank you.